Good morning. Y'all feeling good? Yeah. Good. Uh, you just heard my name is Mark. Uh, I, uh, I changed roles. For those of you that don't know, I'd say changed roles. Maybe added some different things to my role. So I've been here 10 years. And uh, for the first uh, nine years and, you know, eight months of that or whatever, well, I guess all 10 years of those, I did what these guys just got doing. Um, and I stood, you know, behind a microphone with a guitar and, you know, let us in music. So that's still going to be largely what I do around here. But uh, we brought on Jake, the gentleman who is just right here. Uh, back in June, as he steps into some of that, and he's also doing it with our students, uh, and I'm going to do a little bit more of this. So today's the first day we're going to kind of feel, like, like, at least for me, like realize what that newness feels like, because I'm going to start a three-week series today. So I've done these little one-offs here and there, these little moments here and there, but today we're going to start a series. Uh, so anyhow, that's the way that's going to unfold. So if you come back, you know, other times you'll hear our lead pastor, Tim Hughes, who's uh, way better at this than me. So, uh, okay, so a little about me. Uh, I've been here 10 years. I have a beautiful wife. We've been married a, a lot of years, 17, I think, right? And uh, we have a 14-year-old and 11-year-old. And our 14-year-old, Lily, is, uh, is learning to drive. It's the worst, right? <laughs> it's the best. She is learning to drive, and she's really good at it. She's doing a great job. She's a sharp kid. She's a great kid. She's a smart kid. She's a caring kid. Like, I'm only saying that stuff because she's sitting right here. But she's, she's really doing a great job. But she's 14, and she's learning to drive. And I sometimes think when we're approaching stop signs while she's driving that she don't see them, right? <laughs> like, they're there. She don't think they're there. So what do I do? Have you, all you parents who have taught someone how to drive, what do you do? Yeah, right, like, stop, 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 right? Like, there's no, there's no stopping the process. There's no, now, sweetheart, here in 12 seconds, we're going to die, right? There's, <laughs> it's just stop, like, at all costs, no matter what happens. And I'm, I'm not saying I handle it perfectly all the time, because I don't, but I've never taught anybody else how to drive before, right? Kind of. I tried to teach my wife how to drive a stick shift when we were engaged. We thought it'd be better to go through with the wedding. So, <laughs> so we just tabled that. And uh, so this is the first person I've ever taught to drive. So I'm learning as Lily's learning. And sometimes I just don't think she sees those stop signs, right? So it takes me back to when I was <laughs> learning to drive. I've come full circle. I was learning to drive. My dad is sitting in a seat beside me. And I, we're, we're, I very vividly remember the first time I drove down our street on good old Northwest 35th Street. There were no stripes on the street. There was no painted lines. There are now. But there were no stripes on the street, and there was no shoulder to speak of. What there was was a ditch on both sides, right? So if you didn't hold this together, it wasn't going to be pretty. There was a ditch on each side, and between me and that ditch, every, you know, 30, 40, 50, however big yards are, was what? A mailbox, right? And I'm zooming down the street. My dad's sitting beside me. And I'm zooming by a mailbox, apparently way closer than he would prefer I was to these mailbox, mailboxes. And I can remember my dad sitting in the seat beside me, in, in the car, dodging the mailboxes, right? He's, oh, wow. I mean, he's like, he's like speaking in a language that only dads who are teaching their children to drive can speak in. And it, it occurs to me as my daughter is driving that this is what I put my dad through. 
It's hard. Like those of you that have taught children, I had lunch this week with somebody who's taught seven kids how to drive. I'm about to go crazy teaching one how to drive. Like it is hard work. But when you're teaching someone how to drive and, and they're doing this like they're, they're not stopping when you think they should stop or I'm about to hit a mailbox and my dad thinks I shouldn't hit a mailbox. Like you don't have time to stop and process what you're going to say. You just respond. You just kind of ambush, right? And then there are times where you have time to stop and talk. There are conversations we have where we have time to stop and process, not like just what we want somebody to do, but why we want them to do it, right? So I have an 11-year-old son, and sometimes I'll say to him, like, hey, Jet, like, like, Dad loves you, bro. Like, you and me, like, to the end, dude. Like, I love you so much. And because I love you so much, I need to teach you that what you're doing is wrong, right? Like, I need to teach you a different way to do something, a better way to do something. I need you to know, dude, that your mom, like, you're really, really, really important, but also your mom is really important, and your sister is really important, and everybody we know is really important, and everybody we don't know is really important. Like, everybody is important, so everybody should be treated with honor, with respect, With dignity, there are times in life where we don't have time to stop and process what we're going to say. We just kind of throw it up. And there are times in life where we do have a moment where we stop and take the time to process what needs said, not just because we want somebody to do something, but why we want them to do it, right? So that's kind of what we're dealing with here in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to dive into Ephesians today. We're going to do this three-week series, and I got to tell you that it, like, three weeks is not enough to do Ephesians. It is just not. So in order for you to get, like, the full picture of what this book wants you and I to know as the reader, it's going to require you to dive into it a little bit outside of here. Fair? That's on you. There's no homework that I'm going to, like, make, you know, hold you to. But if you really want to get the full picture of what Ephesians wants to show you and wants to teach us, it's going to require you to do some reading outside of here. So, but Ephesians is broke into six chapters. It's not a very long book, but it's got six chapters, and there's this really clear, like, line of demarcation after the first three chapters. It kind of separates what's happening in the first three and what's happening in the second, second three, second three? The final three chapters. And the first three are this. They're the why we are to do something. And maybe more appropriately, it's like the, the who God is and who we are in light of that. And then the, the chapters four, five, and six, which we'll hit over the next two weeks, are like, what does that mean for our conduct? Now that we understand who we are, now that we understand the why we are to do something, what is it we are supposed to do? So full disclosure, before I dive in too far, I need you to know today doesn't really have much application to speak of. One of the things we really enjoy around here, one of the things I really hold... Uh, high, we hold high around here, is that the messages here are generally simple, a simple application. Not because we want to be too simple and too dry, but because we want this to be manageable. We want these to be steps you can take in your faith with Jesus by nuggets of things you gathered when you came here. Pastor Tim is really good at that. We value that highly. But today is not really the application. The application to today is really over the next couple of weeks. Today is simply the why. Is the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's the who God is and who we are. So let's set this up just a little bit. This, this, is a, uh, this is a situation in Ephesians where Paul sees this problem. Paul sees there's something going on. He, there are these, these Jewish 
believers. There are these Gentile believers, which just means people who weren't Jewish, right? Most were Greek and Roman, um, who are trying to experience the fullness of following God together, but there's some conflict. There's a little bit of uncertainty in how this is to unfold. So I just want you to like, catch this little nugget before I go uh, too far. Paul understands something about like your identity and my identity and our identity in Christ. He understands that if you don't first establish identity, you can't really expect a certain conduct. Fair? If you don't establish a certain identity, I think about this like with sports. You know, teams talk about we're not sure what our identity is yet. I, I mean, you know, there are different areas, aspects of your lives where you have to establish or like kind of adhere to a certain identity to expect a certain outcome or behavior in your conduct, right? So, so Paul's trying to figure this out. And he, he's writing this letter to the people in and around Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a, a place that's a big, big, big city. Paul's not writing to like one person here. Now, Paul does that in the New Testament several times. He writes to different guys. He writes to Timothy. He writes a letter to Titus. He writes a letter to Philemon. Those would be called like pastoral epistles. This one is to the church, okay? But it's not the church like, like Grace Point Church, like everybody you know that you go to church with is gathered in the sanctuary. It's, it's not that. You got to see it differently. You got to see it in, the, in light of like what the context was for then. Church for them, I wasn't there, but you can probably ask Pastor Frank. He could tell you a little bit better. But I, like church for them was not like the whole assembly gathered. Church for them was like wherever you gathered in homes to learn about God together, to share a meal together, or in the courtyard, or by a shade tree. Like these were not like Grace Point Church or, you know, Fellowship Bible, like to fill in whatever. That's not the way that you and I see the church gathered. So, so Paul's writing uh, to this gathering of people, and this, these are places where he's been. He has been to, Ephesian, to Ephesians. He has been to Ephesus before. So this, these letters, it may be actually like better appropriately stated. That doesn't like it's not. It's a letter, yes, but it kind of functions more as a speech. He writes this, and then someone would go into these little faith pockets of people, whether it's five people gathered or twenty-five or a hundred. We don't we don't really know, but someone would read it aloud to them. Right? Someone who was educated to read would actually just set them all down and say, okay, on behalf of Paul, blah, 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 blah. And that's how, so it's kind of functioned more as a speech. So we're going to dig into that speech here in just a bit. It's important to know a little bit of context about Paul and about this before we do. So Paul, uh, in his former life, was not a great dude. In fact, he wanted no part of Christians. He wanted to persecute and be off with Christians, right? And then in like one moment, he's walking down the street. He has a supernatural encounter with God and everything changed. So Paul goes from being this like Christian hater to this like really super crazy on steroids, passionate Christ follower. And, and everything changed for him uh, right then and there. So as he writes this, this letter to the people in Ephesus, who is made up mostly of Greeks and Romans... I need to establish that. There are some Jewish, uh, Jewish people there, but mostly it's Greeks and Romans. And, and Paul's first visit to Ephesus, I'll back up there for a second, was in 52 AD. He returned there uh, a few years later and spent, or a year or two later, and spent like three years there, which most people think was the longest he spent anywhere in his like missionary work as a Jesus follower while he's trying to start these new little pockets of Christ followers to, to spread the gospel around the Middle East. So he, he is there for about three years, then he leaves, 
after it was kind of marked, the, the end of those three years was kind of marked with some rioting, some tough stuff going on, and he hit the road, and you can read a lot about that in Acts chapters 19 and 20. I'm not going to go there today because, like I said, we don't even have enough time for Ephesians. I'm certainly not going to read you Acts, but you can do that. If you want to like put this in you and read that and kind of get better context for you, you can do so there. But fast forward five years later than that, we're now in 60 AD, and Paul is in house arrest awaiting trial because he's gone, <laughs> what people think is just crazy. He's bold. His faith is bold. He's, he's breaking some rules, right? And he gets himself in trouble with some both government-like officials and like religious authorities, and he's not in a good place. So he's writing this letter to the people in Ephesus around 60 AD while he's in house arrest to a group of people who he had known and spent three years with and, and spent intimate time with as the church and also to some people who have come to faith in a couple of years since it is that he's left, right? So that's who he's writing to. And he knew from his time in Ephesus, obviously, that a large contingent of his audience who would be hearing this speech didn't have a Jewish heritage. They had a Greek or Roman heritage. There were some Jews there, of course, but most had a Greek or Roman heritage. So like, think about this for a second. Those who had the Jewish heritage, they knew this Hebrew God they had always known. Their parents knew, their parents knew, their parents knew, their parents knew. It's all they had known. They were Jewish fully in every single way. They knew stories about Abraham and Moses and King David. They knew all, like, the Jewish, everything like the Jewish prophets spoke. They knew that stuff. They could recite the Torah. They adhered to very, very strict commands regarding things like, like circumcision and observing the Sabbath and uh, animal sacrifices and like eating kosher, lots of stuff. It was everything they knew as every way in which they behaved, okay? But there were lots of people, the majority of people there who were not that. They were what we would call the Gentile Christians. They didn't have that history. They didn't have that unique family experience. They came to know Christ later on. So they didn't know the stories of the Hebrew God that we know of. They didn't know all that stuff. They just kind of hit this point, whatever. Obviously, they each have their own unique story, but they kind of hit this point where they went, okay, I think I want to follow this Jesus guy. I think I want to know this God that they know. So there's this really like different pocket of people, and I think it's crucial for us to establish this, that he's writing to two really, really, really different groups of people, but all comprise the church. Okay, And I think, like, we can probably put ourselves into one of those categories, right? Like, some of us, like me, I was raised in the church. That's all I've ever known. My parents, like, taught me who Jesus was before I was born. Like, some of us can say that for generations and generations and generations. We come to church. It's comfortable. We know the language. We know the lingo. We, you know, we know when we're supposed to stay and when we're supposed to sit. We, like, we, we get what's supposed to happen. And some of us are, like, just walking in going, well, this is really weird. I want to figure this stuff out. I want to follow this Jesus stuff. I want to know this God that they know, but I kind of feel like I'm less than. Right? I kind of feel like mm, I don't have the same experiences they have. And maybe you could even say, like, I'm not even sure I have like, the same access to God that they must clearly have because they know him apparently way better than I do because they know all this cool stuff. Right? So there's this, this really, really different experience that we, that we have. And we can kind of place ourselves into one of those. And, and let, let, listen, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not so crazy to think that everybody in here is one of those two things. Some of us, like, we don't, we're not, 
we haven't made a decision to follow Christ, and I get that, and that's cool. Like, welcome, welcome to Grace Point. We're glad to have you. This, this is a safe place to explore your faith and to, to check this stuff out. So I don't mean to pigeonhole everybody into those two categories, but I think most of us can kind of say we're, you know, sort of where we fall uh, within that. Now, I want to I cut, cut the Jewish people a little bit of slack, though, like, if they felt less than, if the Gentiles felt less than, or if they felt like they had been left out or they were unwelcomed, like, I need you to consider, like, what it meant to be, and I cannot do it justice, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just tell you a couple things. Like, what it meant to be Jewish for 1,500 years, all they had known and their ancestors had known and their ancestors had known and their ancestors had known was like all the way back to like Genesis 12 when God has his covenant with Abraham, all they had known was they were God's chosen holy people set apart from everybody else. So they were only doing what they knew to do. They had been established as such. They were trying to live as such. So they had known, be separate, be separate, be separate. And now there's this idea that let's be together. Like, we probably have to cut them a little bit of slack. And listen, sometimes we feel like that at church. I get that. Like these people, they weren't trying to make me feel bad. They were just trying to do what they knew to do. And I felt bad because I didn't understand what they understood. And I didn't like live the way they lived. And, and that, that's happened to you. Can I, like, I'm, like, I'm sorry, that, that stinks. That stinks. We're trying, like Christ followers are trying to follow Christ. And if Christ followers made your walk more about what you didn't know than about the love they could share with you, they failed you. And that's not a good representation of those of us who really do love Jesus. So sorry for that if that happened to you. That's, that's a bummer. So the Jews were doing everything they knew to do to live this way that they were called to live. And Paul tells them, hang on a second, guys. That's actually not the way that this is supposed to be. Like, we are actually supposed to do this all together. Like, everybody who follows Christ is actually in the same boat. No matter how you were raised, no matter what your station in life is, no matter what your status is, we're actually all together in the same boat. And I think he wanted them to know the same thing that perhaps you and I still want to know all these years later. Like, whether you're new to a job or you're new to a church or you're new to whatever environment, I think we all want to know when we walk into some place, when we show up to this new group of people, he wanted them to know this. They belonged. Everyone belongs. We're all in the same boat. So Paul chooses to tell them this through his letter. Now, I want you to take your faith context for a second. You, only you know your own unique journey, your, your own unique experience. Take your own faith context for just a second, and I need you to just turn on your imagination for just a moment, all right? And I need you to place yourself in 60 AD. I don't know how to do that, by the way. I got no good, I got no good tools for you. But place yourself in 60 AD, and you are the church in Ephesus. And take your context. Maybe you've known this stuff for a long time. Maybe you're brand new to this. Maybe your family has no understanding of this whatsoever. But place yourself there. You're in 60 AD. You are in Ephesus. You are the church that Paul is writing to, the Jesus followers that Paul is writing to. Now, let me share this with you. I... I fought God really hard on this the last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this. 
I thought, man, I have, I have watched so many commentaries. I've listened to so many messages. I have, I have prepared and re- prepared and prepared. I have read the book of Ephesians like 50 or 60 times over the last couple of weeks. I've made index cards. I mean, I have nerded out on this stuff. I have, I have done everything I could to prepare, like just to understand this as best as I possibly can. I have listened to nonstop the version Bible app guy. Do you know who I'm talking about? The Paul, a disciple of, like it is so boring to hear his voice, right? Oh, like it's all I listen to in my car. I shut off sports radio for the last couple of weeks and just listen to this. It's crazy. I have really worked to like put this in me. I have fought with God. The more and more I studied, the more and more I've looked and researched and tried to understand this, the more I fought with God because I kept saying this. You want me to what, Lord? And he kept saying, I just want you to read Ephesians to these people. Well, that doesn't seem very exciting. (laughs) These people can read for themselves. Forgive me if you can't read. I don't mean to insult you, but most of us can read for ourselves, right? Like, you want me to what, Lord? Like, just read Ephesians to these people? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem very cool. Like, there's way better things I could say than Ephesians. Well, no, there's not. I don't have better things to offer you than the word of God. All I have to offer you is the word of God. So I want you to take a moment, place yourself there, and hear this speech read to you as the church at Ephesus. This isn't what we typically do. I just got to be clear here, right? I'm not sure I've ever heard Pastor Tim stand up here and just read chapters of scripture to us. This is not normal. We'll probably never do it again. That's not true. I don't know if we'll ever do it again. But this is not like what's typical around here, but I just don't have anything better to offer you than the pure, unadulterated word of God. So I'm just gonna read. And you're just gonna be the church at Ephesus hearing this while considering your own faith context if you can place yourself there. And here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I go any further, I just realized I forgot something here. I had this interesting moment this last week. On Monday morning, I was home by myself. My wife's gone to work. My kids are gone to school. I'm sitting at my kitchen table with a pen, and my Bible in a notebook. And I stopped and I just, not stopped, I started reading through Ephesians, just beginning to end, just making notes of everything that Ephesians tells me that I am in Christ. And it rocked me. I mean, it rocked me. I had been reading Ephesians over and over and over and over and over and over for weeks. But when I stopped and just started making notes, it was crazy to me. I sent it, I, I screenshot of my chicken scratch, which she couldn't read, but I screenshot a picture of it, sent it to my wife and said, oh my word, like look at this list of everything that we are in Christ. I mean, God's kindness to me was just huge in that moment, how generous he had been, how generous he had displayed himself to be through the words of scripture. And I just couldn't help but not share it with my favorite person in the universe. I said, babe, you gotta look at this. This is amazing. Like look at all that we are in Christ. So you're gonna see this list as I start reading. One at a time. Some of them go fast, and I probably missed stuff. This isn't anything like official, right? 
But uh, they're going to they're be on the screen as we go. Not that Usually when we read around here scripture, we're actually showing you the scriptural like, text on the screen. I'm not even going to do that. I just want you to see the list as I developed it, just meticulously combing through beginning to end the first three chapters of Ephesians. So I already started. I'm going to continue. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved." And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were, check this out, they're 0 for 5, he's talking to the Gentiles. At that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of God the promise, without hope and without God in the world. They were in a rough, rough spot. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, being Jesus, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I... Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by God's spirit or by by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together with one body and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. I'm almost done, I promise. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. The word of the Lord. There's a lot of good stuff there. And I don't have time to unpack it all. There's a lot of good stuff there. You should unpack it all. (laughs) I don't have time to today. I'm going to take you to one spot. Just one thought that I want to focus on for just the next few minutes. We'll get out of here. This is chapter 2, starting in the middle of verse 15. 
as his purpose. That would be Jesus. His purpose was to create in himself, in Christ, one new humanity. We categorize ourselves in a lot of ways. I'm a fill in the blank, right? We categorize ourselves in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. But this brand new humanity was crazy. This brand new one humankind was crazy. It had to have rocked them, right? So you Jews, hey, by the way, I know you're like, you're the Jewish Christians, but really you're just in Christ. And you Gentiles, like I, I, I know you're just the, the gen, just the Gentile Christians, like you're actually in Christ. This is the one new unifying thing we all experience, right? The ways we categorize ourselves usually are really just what we do, not really who we are. We think they define us, but they don't. Some of them do, right? Hey, before you're before you're anything, before you're white or black or Latino, before you're Asian, before you're a Republican, or before you're a Democrat, or before you're a third party, or before you're a teacher, or before you're a mom, or before you're anything, your first identity because of Christ is in Christ. That's why he came. That's why he showed up is that you and I would would take these different things we experience, these different hats we wear, these different identifiers that we have, and we would say, okay, I can put those away. Those take a back seat because now this new humanity because of Christ is in Christ. And again, I think it had to have rocked the Jews. I mean, for 1,500 years, it's all they had known. Stay separate, stay separate. You're holy, be holy, stay separate. Keep everybody else apart. Like, you are set apart. You are my chosen people. It had to have rocked them. And I think it had to have rocked the Gentiles. I mean, all they had known was, well, they're separate. They're separate. I can't do what they do. Like, I, I, can, I don't live how they live. I don't, I don't, I don't think like them. I don't, I don't know how they've established what they've established. It had to have absolutely rocked them. All they had known was we're unwelcomed. We're, we're less than. We don't have the same access to God that they have. And Paul's saying, whoa, hang on a second. I mean, I mean, just wait a second. The reality is, like, the implication that when Jesus came and brought this new humanity, when God brings into human existence this new humanity, he's saying, like, hey, there's no more, like, hey, sorry, Gentiles, I know you've been flying coach, but there's no more of that. Like, everybody flies first class. Everyone flies first class. And also, like, right this very second, Right now, this very second, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no separate. We are all in the same boat. Everyone belongs. And so I want to show you the list in totality. Check this out. And I'm going to just stop for a second and let you be not amazed by my list. That's not what I mean. I don't want you to be amazed by my list. I want you to just stop for a second and just identify this is who you are according to Ephesians in Christ. Isn't it amazing? but it's only this if you are first in Christ. 
That's the first one. Like you are first in Christ. This is your identity. This is the who, this is the why. And over the next couple of weeks, we will talk about the what we are to do and how we are to conduct ourselves because we have identified with this. But that won't work for you if you don't first identify with this. And I know it's hard. And I know some of us are insecure. Listen, you are staring at the most insecure guy. I know. I think that's why it moved me so much. I think that's why I had to text my wife and say, what in the world? Like, Check this out. This is who you are in Christ. This is the kindness of God showered on you and I that we get to be and have and do and act in these things. And so I was, I was talking to Pastor Josh this week and he's way smarter than I am. And he's way more educated than I am, and he's way more in-depth with reading God's word than I am. And he kept using the language, and I've used it a couple of times. He said, just put it in you. And I kept going, what does that mean? And that's why I read it 50 or 60 or 70 times. That's why I made index cards. That's why I listened to that stinking dry voice all those times over and over. He said, the best thing you can do is just put it in you. I've put it in me a gazillion times this week over and over. And I think what needs to happen today, both because we've read it here and as you leave here, is the best thing I can tell you, the best application I have, it's not great. Put this in you. Put this in you. If you have a hard time identifying with these things, just read it over and over and over and ask Jesus to reveal it to you like that this is who you are in Christ. And if you don't, and if you can't, I'm just gonna play spoiler, like the next two weeks aren't gonna be that exciting for you, (laughs) right? Because we can only be expected to live by this conduct if we first understand our identity that leads to this conduct. This is who we are in Christ. We can't behave a certain way that, that lines up with that if we can't first identify with this. So whatever you've used to identify yourself, like I'm not saying that's bad, like I'm a lot of things. This jumps to the front of the line. Everything else is secondary to who you are in Christ. So I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna pray that you would begin to let this take root in you this week and we'll come back next week and talk about now that we know this, now that some of us believe this, we'll talk about how to live. Because how we treat each other matters. Jesus says so. So let's pray. I I come before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray, Lord, that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that each of us being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people, with all father of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of you, God. Now to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. Put this in you this week, and we'll see you next week. God bless you all. You're dismissed.